Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, plus videographer and host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Welcome to Driven Radio, your weekly place of automotive escapism and more don't we need it these days. I am your host, Brett Hatfield. I'm here with our intrepid engineer and co-host Catfish Groves and Corey Pratt of Craving Cars on YouTube. All right, that's me. We are coming to you from Driven Radio New Online Studios because that's how things get done these days. (laughs) Uh, If you like what you're hearing, be sure to tell your friends. If there's something you want to hear more of, be sure to tell us. Uh, This week, we have news about production delays on the new Bronco Sport. Mm -hmm. Ford Manufacturing Safety Equipment for Hospitals, Doctors, Yay. and Nurses. Cadillac is going to revive the Blackwing moniker, and we will oh, yeah. have John Klinger of Haggerty here to discuss the passing of Sterling Moss. Mm. A little bit later in the show, we'll have Doug Tabbitt and Ed Bullion on here to talk about the new Cannonball record set just last week. That's insane. we got an awful lot to cover, so let's get to it. Starting off of uh, Automotive News Talks about that Bronco Sport production delay. Obviously, the coronavirus outbreak is is delaying nearly two months of the Ford Bronco Sport crossover. The Bronco Sport is going to be uh, released before the Bronco, unfortunately, a couple months later than originally said. Um, It's basically the the Bronco Sport has a stance kind of like a Jeep Renegade. So if you kind of picture that kind of size, that escape size off-roader kind of deal. But it uh, should start rolling off the assembly lines at the Ford's uh, Hermosillo, Mexico. If uh, if you're from Mexico and I mispronounce it, sorry. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> the plan out there was September 7th, so nearly 60 days after the original July 13th target. Um, Ford doesn't uh, really have much to say. Uh, any comments uh, about uh, discussing the future product? So we don't know anything more than that on the Ford side of things. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's still expected to go on sale this fall. It's still going to be out before its bigger brother, the Bronco. Um, which the Broncos coming out early next year. Uh, Ford CEO Jim Hackett said that the virus was not likely to have significant impact on launches of some of their other bigger models, such as the Bronco and the next generation F-150 pickup or the Mach-E. They can take some time on that Mach-E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a virus. That, right. that, that doesn't yeah. need to be out just yet. You know what? I no, really, no, no. I really hope that we're pleasantly and horrifically, wonderfully surprised by it because I, when I, I was kind of like, well, okay, an electric, yeah, okay, and especially with what they're doing with electric motors uh, and some of the horsepower they're cranking out of those. Those are fine, but when you talk about a four door, a four door freaking Mustang, they didn't even do that in 1974 when they really effed it up and made it that little bitty Pinto. I mean, they've never. I, I do not know of a four door Mustang ever made that wasn't you know like a one off or a uh, somebody's custom. It just oh, why. And just, yeah, I, yeah, whatever. We may yeah. be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I ain't hold my breath. Yeah, it's like a four-door yeah. TR6. Really? No. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, me either. 
Well, uh, Ford is doing something else um, that they're putting out, and they're doing it immediately. They're producing respirators, masks, and co- for COVID-19 protection in Michigan, scaling up the production of gowns and even testing collection kits. It's really kind of cool. They've retooled so much right now to be pumping out this stuff to help us all uh, in, the, in our current situation. Uh, they've expanded their efforts to design and produce urgently needed medical equipment and supplies for healthcare workers. Now, they're working with 3M to do this they've uh, developed a new powered air purifying respirator and yeah and since late late march ford manufacturing purchasing supply chain experts have been embedding at 3m so they've been working with 3m manufacturing facilities to help increase production of so much stuff uh april 14th at ford's vreeland facility near flat rock michigan with paid uaw workers they can make a hundred thousand or more of all these various pieces of stuff now, in collaboration with UAW, Ford is now producing face masks at Ford's Van Dyke transmission plant. Uh, they're leading efforts to manufacture reusable gowns. Check this: reusable reusable gowns from airbag materials. That's cool. I know, right? And I wonder if, like, if you sneeze, they go and, and they keep people sneeze guard. Yeah, yeah. It just, oh. I'm sorry. They get to see me make all the motions here, and, and you don't because you're listening. But we're on we're on Zoom, and like giving you poof up. I, I thought it was funny until I realized it's not really. Let's say you look at your phone. You're not paying attention to where you're going. You hit something. Yeah, you bump something. Poof, and you bounce forty feet away. I, I think I think that's exactly what it means. Whenever there's it, it yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, Ford's lending its manufacturing support to Thermo Fisher Scientific, quickly expanding production of COVID-19 collection kits so that they can test more of us. All of this is in addition to the current production of more than 3 million face shields in Plymouth, Michigan. 3 million face shields. Even Lego is making face shields right now. Wow. Why Ford's going to be a couple months late with Bronco production. That's okay. Uh, Perfectly legitimate reason to give them a pass and good on Ford. And also, you know, GM has gotten into this. Lots of the parts suppliers have gotten into this. Everybody is really hard charging on the effort and good on all of them. Amen. Absolutely. Well, some more automotive news for you. Uh, Hey, Brett, you remember the Blackwing, the Cadillac, the the CT6V? Yeah, I'm still mad. Wouldn't that be awesome (laughs) if that came back? Yeah. Well, it's not. So anyways. um, (laughs) Rug. Cadillac, Cadillac, however, they do revive the Blackwing name, but it's with a, a, uh, I guess, so-called track-capable CT5V and a CT4V. The V-series on the Cadillacs are their performance lines. So back Ah. in the day, it started with the CTS, and then they had the CTS-V, and they expanded that later on to the ATS-V. Vroom. I got it. Yeah. I'm down. Of room, room. No, wait. That, that's not right. <laughs> um, but basically, they, they had a they had a black wing engine uh, powered, they called the CT6V. It was a five or a 4.2 liter twin turbo 550 horsepower. Yeah, V8. that's the one I wanted. Yeah. Damn. yeah. And, and, and guess what? They're not going to put that in the other ones. But <laughs> yeah, they, they made it for a year and then quit. Typical GM. They get it right yeah. and then screw it up. You keep yeah, they, burning they this Christmas awesome. presents, Corey. <laughs> 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 well, instead, Cadillac will use the term Blackwing to represent, uh, you know, the pinnacle of performance and craftsmanship for the brand, according to a Cadillac spokesman. Uh, so the 2020 CT5V is powered by the Cadillac's high-output 3-liter twin-turbo V6, which is rated at 360 horsepower, which to Ooh. me, I feel like that's a little underpowered for a twin-turbo V6 nowadays. Yeah. A 2020 CT4V is uh, going to be equipped with the 
high output 2.7 liter uh, turbo, which is at 325 horsepower. You so, know, we really, really are spoiled these days with engine outputs. If you went back 10 years and you said, I got a three liter and it's cranking out 360 horse, people would have been freaking ecstatic. Oh, the yeah, thing is, we've like, just no seen way. such such radical horsepower figures from just about everyone. We've gotten spoiled. Yeah, you're not yeah, wrong. We have. We you're have. not wrong. But I, I, I will say this, though, from, you know, with the last, the ATS and the CTSV, these seem a little underpowered compared to its predecessors. So well, True. When you're, when you're True. moving that much metal, yeah, because it's not, it's not yeah. the smallest well, car. The V-Series Blackwing models will have uh, specially tuned chassis still. Uh, the vehicle control technology uh, and their engines. Uh, the manual uh, transmission, here we go. This could add to that list from last week. Manual transmissions will also be offered on cool. the V-Series one. So that's pretty awesome what, for what, you uh, car people out there. A, a Cadillac with a manual? Yeah, yeah. But we're not Actually, not, not in, the little, while. Not in yep, the little yep, dinky sure cars, have. but in a Cadillac. That's that's right. That's everything wrong, but I love it. <laughs> performance, yeah, that's right. Performance and luxury all in one package. A, uh, we need a to put Mark in a in a six speed CTSV and take him for a thrill ride. Oh, I would love uh, that. I never been. That would be awesome. Done. It's called uh, as long as it has a V in there. Mister Groves. <laughs> <laughs> Catfish isn't stupid no more. <laughs> uh, Catfish gets yes. educated today. Look at that. I'm well, smarter. Says the the Blackwing variants uh, will compare uh, closer to the previous generations ATSV and CTSV, even though those are the ones they they test faster than those cars at this point, but I guess we'll see what they do. Very cool stuff. Glad to hear that Cadillac's going to keep making performance models and keep making them with uh, manual transmissions when so little other stuff is. Yeah, it's very true. Now, the only thing that I think uh, I would be hoping on is maybe the 4 should be closer to the 360 horsepower and the uh, CTS-5 ought to be a little bit closer to the 450 to 500. I bet that would be that would be pretty cool. I'm just saying. Oh, grouchy, grouchy. The twin-turbo V6, that was the ATSV, had, what, 460 horsepower? Yeah, that sounds familiar. I, you know, off the top of my head, I don't recall. Honestly, no. I don't. It could be scaring the crap out of the old dudes who drive these. That might Either be the way, problem. the V is back, baby. <laughs> They're not dead yet. I'm alive! <laughs> Hot damn. <laughs> Uh, I laugh awesome. now. In 10 years, I'm going to want one of those so damn bad. <laughs> or <Wonderful>. five years. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> All righty, guys. Uh, from Sports Car Digest, we've got news of Sir Sterling Moss uh, dying last week yeah. or earlier this week uh, at 90 years old. He was a British motor racing legend, and uh, he passed away after a long illness at Easter Sunday at his home in Mayfair uh, outside of London. Moss was born into a motorsport family. His father was a wealthy dentist and a talented amateur racer, while his mother, Eileen, used to compete in hill climbs. Bet you can't say that about your mom. <laughs> Have you met my dad? <laughs> yeah. Sterling fell in love with cars, and at the age of 17, he secretly ordered himself an MG, signing for it instead of his father. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hero already. Yeah, that, that takes uh, oh wow, nice wine glass. Uh, that takes some uh, some real backbone on Sterling's part. In 1948, he took part in 15 Formula Three races and he won 12 of them. In 49, he became part of the British HWM Works team in Formula Two. Uh, he won the English Formula Two Championship title in 49 and 50. Uh, also won the Tourist Trophy and a Jaguar XK120 in 1950, beating the Works Racing cars 
of the manufacturer. A year later, he was headed to the Jaguar team. He really came to prominence in the 50s, uh, made his Formula One debut in 1951 in the Swiss Grand Prix. During the 55 season as a Mercedes-Benz department works driver, he he completed 17 races in the uh, W196R Formula One racing car as well as in the 300 SLR. He just won so much stuff. He won the 1955 Milmelia. It's a thousand mile route through Italy at an average speed of 157 kilometers per hour, which is probably right close to 100 miles an hour. Thousand mile race at a th- at 100 miles an hour, not too bad. And drinking Italian uh, wine, impressive. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a lot of linguini, people. That's a lot of linguini. Moss raced cars uh, by Maserati, Van Wall, Cooper, Porsche, Aston Martin, Ferrari, Lotus, and BRM, and he was an absolute world class driver. Uh, he won several races for in Ferraris, and in 1960, piloted a 250 GTB short wheelbase to victory at the Goodwood Tourist Trophy. Uh, just a hugely important individual uh, in auto racing. Um, for his services, Queen Elizabeth II honored him with the most excellent order of the British Empire, in 1959 and in 2000 he was raised to a knight bachelor securing his title as sir sterling moss uh the motoring world has truly lost one of its legends and we've got jonathan Klinger with us vice president of public relations for Haggerty, and also a great race competitor and all-around car fiend and a good friend of the show john welcome back to driven radio thanks so much it's great to be back here Tell us why, other than the things I just listed, why is Sterling Moss so important? He's part of a class of just this great list of legends uh, from, you know, what we think of, of, uh, some people will say the glory days of of motor racing. Uh, Another way of looking at that is the dangerous days of motor racing. So anyone who made it through that, that's a feat in itself. Um, Yeah, back when racing was dangerous and sex was safe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that is a topic for a different podcast. Though, my yeah, no doubt. Um, right. When you look back on the life of someone like like uh, Sterling Moss uh, at Haggerty, we did a interview of him back in 2012, a video, and it's on our YouTube channel. And at the very end, one of the questions was, how do you want to be remembered? And uh, what I thought was touching, he says, I want to be remembered as a racer. Uh, being a racer and racing are two different things. And I thought that was a, that was an interesting way for him to put it. And, and it just talks about when you, if you really dissect his driving style, a lot of the races that he won was not in the best car on the field or on the track. He he oftentimes was at a disadvantage with whatever car he was driving, which also brings me to another quote that, uh, um, I had read this before, and then Bill Warner uh, did a nice write-up on, on him and his passing, and, and he also published it, that he was once quoted as saying, better to lose honorably in a British car than win in a foreign one. <laughs> Which speaks to how patriotic he was. To it's quite country. right. Say no more. Ta-ta. Yeah. And, well, uh, in his career, he had 222 victories out of 495 races. And that was in no fewer than 84 different cars. God. That's, that's pretty freaking remarkable. Yeah. That's a lot of cars. That's a lot yeah. of cars. You know, when it comes down to racing, it's between the, the driver and the machine, and you have to be one 
with each other. And he just, you know, he's just one of those people that he just clearly had that talent. Uh, there's a lot of people that like to race. There's a lot of people that attempt at it. And then there's just, the, there's just that cream of the crop at the top that just have that talent to become one with the car and one with the course that they're on and the road. And, you know, cause a lot of these races you're talking about the Millie Millia, you're not guaranteed great conditions. And sometimes they're actually no. awful. You know, the ability to drive through it, you know, when you think of some of these great racing movies that we've enjoyed in modern pop culture, they're kind of harking back to this era of road racing and this this era of driving. And clearly he was able to find that because if you go back and look at the list of victories he had, the British Grand Prix twice, Monaco Grand Prix three times, the Milmelia, the Targa Florio, the Alpine Rally, uh, 12 Hours of Sebring and the Tourist Trophy. He was able to do this about everywhere. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, you don't have to search far to see the story of how his racing career abruptly ended after he had a pretty significant industry injury, excuse me, that, uh, you know, ended in, in uh, quite a long recovery. And once he no. was recovered, he was not confident in his ability to be a driver afterwards, so he decided to retire. Um but what then he he then transitioned into, he didn't just exit the scene. He became probably one of the greatest ambassadors for racing and car culture as a whole. And and he, he did a wonderful job. He wasn't just a person that played off his celebrity status being grand marshal at events. He when he was at an event, he was there to help help the promoters. He was there to meet with anybody. He would answer any questions. He, he wasn't someone who had to be whisked away uh, you know, by some handlers to not be bothered by any person. He, he really was. He spent the, the uh, second half of his life, well, even more so, uh, but the better part of his life being just one of the greatest ambassadors for auto racing and, and car culture. John, thank you for being with us tonight and talking about Sterling a little bit. He will certainly be missed. Uh, the racing world is less without him. Yeah, the, absolutely. And, and, the, and the car world in general. We've been speaking with John Klinger. He is the vice president of public relations for Haggerty Insurance, uh, a car fiend and a, and a very good friend. And thank you, John, for being with us. We appreciate that. You'll be able to find all of John's social media links and links to Haggerty on readthedriven.com. We appreciate you taking the time. Coming up next, we've got Ed Bolian and Doug Tabbitt with us to talk about the uh, new cross-country cannonball records that last week, 26 hours and 38 minutes. Oh, my Unbelievable. God. Unbelievable. That's coming up next on Driven Radio. As part of Driven Radio Show, it's so fun that we get to go out and do things together. And one of my favorite places in the Kansas City Metro is the Kansas City Automotive Museum. I love oh, stopping by Cars yeah. and Coffee. Oh, Cars and Coffee is awesome. Not just because you Incredibly. get to talk to a bunch of people. I had a dude that was telling me about uh, Ford Model Ts, and he had one sitting there with this little motor. And the, <laughs> the guy was... He was so fun to talk to. I didn't know him from, you know, Adams off Ox. And yet we had this wonderful chat about the history of the car because he was so into it and it was all original. I'm, and I'm listening to its little heartbeat run and I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. They host cars and coffee a couple times a month and then cars and coffee and donuts and occasionally cars and coffee and pancakes. Mm, pancakes uh, and donuts. 
and cars mm-hmm. and coffee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm missing our, our Saturday morning car get-togethers, and I'm certainly missing being able to walk through the museum and see the new stuff they've got and the new exhibits. And uh, yeah, I miss – they had a really cool RV and camping trailer uh, oh, display. Oh, yes. Yes. With some vintage stuff from the 50s that would, had been very well redone. That's what was really cool about it, because it just is something different than what you would typically see at a auto museum. I'm missing out on the monthly change of displays over there. They're looking forward to uh, opening again very, very soon. You can check them out at KansasCityAutoMuseum.com. KansasCityAutoMuseum.com. Looking forward to getting back over to the museum, doing our oh, cars and yeah. coffee on the Saturday morning again and seeing what they've got coming up. You know, if you want to take a quick peek into it, uh, Corey, don't you have some insights on craving cars on YouTube? Man, I, I tell you what, the Kansas City Automotive Museum is such a fun place. It's always a good time there, uh, especially, you're, you're right, Brett, the cars and coffee, you miss it so much. I've probably spent more time in that one place than any other place in Kansas City having to do with automobiles. And it, it's it's so good that I can it's hard to not start rolling the camera when I'm there. So I'm there so often. And I put so much content out for them uh, and videos out on Craving Cars that uh, if you're jonesing to see some some automotive museum, I mean, definitely go back to Craving Cars on YouTube and take a look at some of our past videos. So, as a matter of fact, we'll put a playlist together to make it easy for you to find. And maybe you can uh, walk around and say, hey, I heard about you right here on Driven Radio Show. Welcome back to Driven Radio. Uh, we've got one more news story and a couple people here to comment on it. Roden Track is reporting reporting the team exploited the coronavirus pandemic to set a 26-hour, 38-minute cross-country record. Uh, it's only been a few months since uh, the New York to Los Angeles cannonball record was uh, broken by Doug Tabbitt and Arnie Toman. By making it across the U.S. in just 27 hours and 25 minutes. God. And honestly, I, I thought that that record would stand for years. Yeah, and had yeah, the conversation with several people about that. Uh, but allegedly, it's been broken again with a time of just 26 hours and 38 minutes, which beat the record that uh, Doug and Arnie set back in November by more than 45 minutes. Uh, the new record holder's identities are not yet known, at least to us. And they were driving a white 2019 Audi A8 sedan with a pair of marine fuel tanks ratchet strapped into the trunk. <laughs> uh, they started at the Red Ball Garage in New York City at 11.15 p.m. on April 4th and ended fewer than 27 hours later at the Portofino Hotel in uh, Redondo Beach. A uh, picture of the Audi was posted on Facebook last week with its trunk open to show the auxiliary fuel, fuel tanks. Here's the thing. A lot of cannonballers and uh, other associated people uh, are saying that this was not legitimate because it was done during the coronavirus quarantine. And we've got two previous record holders here, Ed Bullion of Vinwicky and Doug Tabbitt of Switch Cars, both who have set cannonball records in the past. And we're here to get their take on it. Gentlemen, welcome to Driven Radios. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. So, uh, what are your thoughts on the new record? <laughs> uh, it's um, there's no asterisk in my book. It happened. Um, 
uh, you know, records change over time and there's always some sort of competitive advantage uh, that wasn't there for people beforehand. Um, I mean, that could even be said for us versus when Ed went. I mean, we had uh, a lot more horsepower at our disposal and uh, I think less construction and, you know, better cars and more spotters and things like that. Some of those things were within our control. Obviously, this is something, uh, a situation that arose that uh, nobody could plan for, but uh, uh, anybody could have taken advantage of it, and these guys chose to do so. So there you go. The time's the time. <laughs> Ed? I think that's very true, but at the same time, there's there's a need for context around any achievement like this, and one of the more honorary opportunities about being a part of the community of people that care about this sort of thing is that not only do you kind of offer the nod to the historical past, and that's one of the main sensitivities that I've always had since setting the record and, and kind of helping to foster the sense of community around those that care about Cannonball is to certainly enunciate and emphasize the safety record and the history that is kind of riding on all of our shoulders as we continue to chase this kind of a goal. And, and certainly it's not the most socially redemptive thing, but there is some part of humanity that allows it because of the nod to a justified and understood historical precedent. And the fact that throughout 50 years of people chasing this drive, this record, this route, there haven't been any serious injuries. There haven't been any accidents involving other cars. And that's something that, you know, honestly, I think we're allowed to be a little bit proud of. And the fears that we had pertaining to this record is that it, and we're not trying to take anything away from it, but it sort of arrived upon us in a new way. It's been a long, long time since someone went out and set an impressive time without kind of a shot across the bow to those of us that have done it before. So we didn't learn about this until they were already in Ash Fork. And I got an email and they said, hey, we got some guys who it looks like they're about to beat 2725. And so we were able to watch the rest of the route in and see that they were maintaining the kind of speeds they were talking about. But it was a very kind of a new face and obviously no face right now because we'd, we had all kind of agreed that this was the right time to not be real public, lighting these shelter in places and everything else. And so it, nobody wants to be the poster child of spreading coronavirus. And so <laughs> these guys were, uh, were going to be quiet about it but some of their friends were not. So the word kind of spread out. But the community of people that understand and kind of, I don't know, curate the craft, whatever you want to call it, also have the responsibility of kind of putting a framework around what the time is. And that's really, to me, where the question lies. Since it is such an unprecedented circumstance and such an out-of-your-control change into the landscape of the, comp of the competition, then you, you question whether it does need to be categorized differently, whether you call it an asterisk or anything else. It just brings up the possibility that it might not be the mark to beat for people aspiring to it moving forward. So with that said, was it the right time or the wrong time to do it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that, knew that was coming. There you go. I mean, okay. well, you could argue that in the 70s where the worst thing that could happen was, you know, a $100 speeding ticket might have been a better time to try. I think we'd all love to go back to, to those era, that era of police patrolling, uh, but it also is, is in many ways the worst. So the, the risks that we're normally worried about, like traffic and accidents and stuff like that, yeah, those are lower, but the risks that could manifest, like you, know, you diverting a truck full of medical supplies or something or 
first responders being occupied with something related to you rather than something else, that's a much bigger downside. So by that, by that kind of token, I'd say it's probably about as bad as it could be. Well, I think you've got a lot of uh, fans who are are also into that because uh, you might have seen in mid-Missouri just, I think it was Tuesday, uh, they clocked a guy. They actually gave him a ticket because he was, you know, on I-70 doing 143 miles per hour during broad friggin' daylight. And uh, this is an idiot who's not even trained. He just happened to have a lot of horsepower. So, uh, <laughs> Missouri, I'm surprised they didn't throw him in jail. They really don't oh, like speeders there. He might be. But, uh, you know, <laughs> um, they have been going yeah, a little we- easier on people that have been, you know, clocking 10, 20 uh, over the speed limit. They're just not sure. they're not stopping them because of COVID. Yeah. Missouri State yeah, Troopers are known for their lack of sense of humor. Yeah, I'm well aware of that. <laughs> I'll vouch for that. Once or twice, yeah. yeah. So, Doug, in your mind, uh, was it moral or what are the pros and cons of the morality of doing it now? <laughs> sure. I don't like the word moral when it comes to cannonball. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I, that I, has there, a, what's, what's the phrase? It, it, uh, it can be illegal and be moral and it can be legal and be immoral. So I, I use that to justify cannonballing because it's certainly illegal, but I do not have any sort of ethical quandary in my own conscience about doing it. So I think it's really a matter of perception. It's I did not go out and do a run, and Ed didn't either, and you know a lot of us cannonballers decided not to, not particularly because we felt such, uh, you know, incredibly ethical, not that we were taking the high road necessarily, lest I give ourselves too much credit, but more (laughs) that we were worried about what it would look like to other people. Um, Because there's certainly a concern for, you know, public health and all of that with what is going on. But at the same time, the open road calls and we all wanted to go out and and run across the country, but we were really concerned about how it would be viewed by people um, with everything else that is going on. And so we really wanted to be sensitive to um, the concerns of other people who are who are losing their jobs, who are potentially, you know, losing loved ones close to them um, due to to the virus. So um, we just said, okay, well probably not the best time to go, uh, even though it might be the best time to go. (laughs) So for the objectors, for the people who aren't accepting this time or want to have it with an asterisk, do you think it'll be more widely accepted over time? I think it really just depends who you ask. I mean, the people, like Ed said, there's there's a real um, nod to the cannonballers who have come before us in the history. And all of us now, quote unquote, old folks in Cannonball, you know, I think of it kind of like the the car clubs, right? Everybody wants new blood to come in, but nobody wants new blood to come in. They want it to be the way they they have always remembered it. And I think maybe some of us are struggling a little bit with that because we want to protect the heritage and the legacy of Cannonball. And along comes some unknowns uh, who just go out and set a time and I think the issue with that is the perception from the young kids on the internet who just look at the time and go, oh, that wasn't so hard. Let's all go out and do this. And they 
don't care about the safety record or what really is entailed in pulling something like this off responsibly. And um, I think that's really the greater concern. Did you think your time would stand longer? Until we went into quarantine, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Ed and Doug, both of you, do either of you have the urge to go out and try and set a new time? You're both set (laughs) records in the past. I think we always get the temptation to to go out there. I'll say, you know, I've gotten pretty much everything out of the notion of cannonballing that I ever could have dreamt of and so much more that I don't feel like I would achieve something that would add to my life by going out and doing it again. That being said, that doesn't make it not an awful lot of fun. And sure. so that draw will always oh, be there. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't have any necessarily, necessarily any aspiration to go out and try to beat 2638 or whatever the mark becomes to beat fairly soon. Yeah. And follow up on that. I I think while I don't necessarily put an asterisk on the 2638 time, I am really glad that we did it under normal circumstances with all of the same difficulties of our predecessors. You know, we faced traffic jams, we faced slowdowns, we left time on the table. There was a bunch of what ifs where things didn't go perfectly and we still beat our, you know, heroes time. So I I think the the victory wouldn't have been as sweet for us if we had gone out and done it at a time like this, but it certainly is tempting to go out and see what it would be like with no traffic. Very well spoken. Ed, the Car Trek series is wrapped up now and the last episode was fantastic. Don't tell me. I haven't watched the last one yet. <laughs> no spoilers. No spoilers. It was just very good. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you want to do another series? I want to do it every day forever. <laughs> that much fun. I've had a lot of fun in cars, uh, driving fast and a long way many times, but I'll say that was awesome. I mean, to me, the people approach different automotive hobbies for a lot of different reasons and bonding as friends over limping terrible examples of really cool cars along over a pretty long distance with some challenges like there's literally nothing better i mean i grew up watching top gear and dreaming of being able to do stuff like that one day and uh, we figured out a way to do it once Uh, and, and yes hopefully we can do it again how has the reception been to the series and have you gotten any flack for emulating the top gear grand tour formula I'd like to think we were close enough that nobody thinks we, we didn't understand that we were 100% knocking off the recipe. Like, I mean, this is, uh, you know, store brand top gear by every approximation. And I, I, we weren't trying to sugarcoat that. That being said, uh, I think that so many have tried to find the recipe and figure out exactly how to kind of tiptoe through the emotions that you want to kind of elicit from an audience. And, we got a lot closer than I ever thought we'd be able to. I know we're not there yet, and I'm not trying to say we are, but I think we were able to get uh, to achieve what we were looking for. I think what was been, what's been lacking from other people's attempts to emulate that is the chemistry. And you and Tyler and Freddie sure seem to have the chemistry. I'd like to think so. We are genuinely good friends, and, and we've had uh, uh, you know, a lot of interesting automotive experiences together. So this was a further example of, of that getting to be enjoyable. So I, I like them a lot. We have similar enough taste in cars to you know, kind of see where we're at, but also enough varied taste to make fun of each other a lot. 
So if you do another challenge, what would you like to try? We were actually talking about that today, and Auto Tempest is very excited to try to do it again, but I... Uh, I don't know yet. Uh, we, we probably want to go a little bit of a lower price point. The the C8 was just so much in the news that trying to do like a $60,000 alternative made a lot of sense right now. Uh, and we were all always looking at cars kind of in that price range because they tend to be really inexpensive to own apart from how much they break. They don't really depreciate once they're a few <laughs> years old. We were talking about, you know, the price of a Camry, which is like low 30s, which offers a lot of fascinating things. I was looking at a Ferrari 612 Scaglietti today that got like full Carrie Underwood <laughs> treatment, like scorned lover had taken a Manolo and, and scratched every panel and broken all the glass out. And I was oh, like, God. that's a 30 grand car. Uh, <laughs> so I was, I was trying to buy that thing. And that, you know, it, usually what will happen is we'll find one car that kind of creates the contest. Uh, you know, it's not 100% legitimate that we pick a contest, then we go find cars. But um, we were also talking about finding the most depreciated cars. Uh, so try to find like cars that are more than 95% depreciated or something like that, but are still like high performance coupe sports cars, something like that. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, that, I might be able cool. to help you out on that. If you go that way, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got some fun examples there. <laughs> There's more than a little bit of a possibility you guys could all go fish out of Tyler's garage because I think he owns some of that. <laughs> he has pretty much all of them. Yeah, that Alpina that he's got would be a perfect example. But I think yeah, we'll that'd be not a bad example. Again, or I don't know if we'll do convertibles or not, but um, the convertibles are really hard for audio. We're very bad at capturing everything. So yeah. Well, I, we all we all think you did a terrific job on that series, and I, I hope you do another one. I'm anxious to see so it too. happen. How about this now? Now, not saying we're trying to copy off of the uh, you know the Top Gear formula again, but if you're going with the depreciated cars and knowing that there could be some issues, maybe you ought to have a Auto Tempest have a backup car for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Something that's they're, awful, they're, they're absolutely awful. There would probably need to be a, an appear backup car, but also we would have for sure uh, one or two real backups that could sub <laughs> in for anybody's car. Maybe you could couldn't count on any of them. Put I them all on it. Also a, missing a tame racing driver. Ah, uh, yes. yes. <laughs> put them all up on a, put a helmet on. You know, I know guy. a guy who can grow a mediocre mustache and drive cars fast. <laughs> yeah, I've seen his right head about here. the first part. <laughs> You know, spin the dial on a dog or what's behind door number one, garage door number two, or garage door number three, and make you guys go through that. Bring a car, <laughs> but then we don't know which one we're going to wind up driving. Oh, God, oh, that's that. fun. There you go. That's gold. I love it. Bronze 08 M6 convertible, which would have been like a 130 sticker that I think it's, it's in Tennessee. I might be able to buy it. Sub 10 grand. Oh, wow. <laughs> We've been speaking with Doug Tabbitt and Ed Bullion about the new Cannonball record and about the Car Track series. You can find all of their social media links as well as links to Switch Cars, Ben Wiki, and Car Track on readthedriven.com. Doug and Ned, thank you so much for being with us. It's always a pleasure to have you on, and we look forward to having you back. Thank you again. Great to see you all. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our audience. You can find us online at drivenradioshow.com, readthedriven.com, or follow us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram at Driven Radio Show. And find us everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt and Catfish Groves. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. 